following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. Well, thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you for praying for our son. It's very humbling that the church would partner with us in this. Uh, we love our little guy, little guy Micah, and uh, many of you know him, but yeah, he has very stiff arms and legs, and so he has a hard time getting around. So We've been every specialist. We've, like the, the woman in the Bible with the issue of blood, you know, she spent all her money and went to all the doctors, and we've been everybody you can go to, and they said, sorry, we just don't, uh, we don't have a diagnosis for you, and we really can't help you. And so, you know, we try, we ask, seek, and knock, and we use the, the wisdom that God gives us and the counsel, but we inevitably know that all things are possible with God. Amen. We inevitably know that, and we know he's the great physician, and so we appreciate you guys standing with us and taking a little uh, slice of that time of prayer and fasting, whatever that is. Some people skip meals the whole day. Some people skip a, a couple of meals or have a juice fast or whatever really works for you. But um, I, I just, we, we thank you for doing that. Um, we believe all things are possible with God because Jesus is the king of all kings. You guys know that? I mean, the king of all kings. And I want to talk to you this morning about King Jesus, specifically King Jesus. We think of Jesus. He's the lover of my soul, as the song said earlier. Uh, We know Jesus is my friend. We got a friend in Jesus, right? Uh, We know he's the Lord, that's the Messiah, but we don't normally look at him as the king. And and this passage today is a snapshot of people who do recognize Jesus as the king. And because he is the king of all kings, how do they respond to him? Because a lot of people have this view of Jesus that, you know, I'm going to pray, I'm going to invite him in my heart, and I want God to bless everything I do in my life. And so uh, the better way to get through life is with Jesus on my side. So I'll, I'll pray to him, and maybe he's going to help me out on my journey. Uh, that's a, a real small view of who Jesus is. There's a much, much bigger view of who the real Jesus is, the king of all kings. And so King Jesus today in this passage, I want us to look, if you have your Bible, John chapter 12 We're going to look at a couple of snapshots. There's a couple of stories back to back that are uh, in the Passion Week, which is Jesus serving in public ministry for three years, and finally he's going to head into Jerusalem, and this is his final descent into Jerusalem. But on the way, some radical things happen, and um, we're going to see what that is. There are different responses to King Jesus. There's different ways that people respond to who he is. And we're going to look at both of these. One is a, is a private response that happens in a home. And one is a public response that happens out on the streets. And I think these two responses to King Jesus ought to have a reflection on us, how you and I respond to King Jesus. And if you look at the story of the Bible and you look at, you follow along in the Gospels, Jesus was doing radical things. He was raising the dead. He was healing the sick and the blind were seeing and all these radical things. He's forgiving sins. He's calming the storms. He's, he's doing all these things. But if you look at the storyline, right now is the climax in the story. This is where the tension gets intense. This is where the Pharisees are turning against him. This is his final descent into Jerusalem. And he told everyone all along how it was going to end. They didn't understand it. But he said, I know it's going like this right now. But listen, I have to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be handed over. Nobody really understood what that was going to be about until later. But let's look at this story, how it unfolds. This is out of John's gospel of Jesus' final descent into Jerusalem before he goes to the cross. It's considered Passion Week because Jesus had so much passion for you and I. He was willing to pour his life out this way. 
And I, and I hope our response to King Jesus can be one of passion. Everybody say passion. 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 You really can't separate the faith from passion. Uh, some try to, and they make it a, a cognitive faith or a faith they can figure out. But I'm just telling you, Jesus had so much passion for you and I. And I think our response to him ought to be one of passion. Well, the first story here, the private response to Jesus has got all kinds of passion. Let's look at this in John chapter 12. If you have your Bibles or on your phone or however you look up your Bible electronically, but it says this, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief as a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she would save this perfume for this day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, who he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. So here the story, the setup is this. It's six days after Passover. Passover weekend in the Jewish culture, we celebrated last week. We had a guest speaker from Jews for Jesus share about the Passover. And the Passover was where you put the blood of the lamb on your home. And if you believed in God's word and you did apply the blood of the lamb, then all consequences passed over your house. You didn't have any consequences. You were forgiven. They went over your house. They went to other homes. But the ones who believed God's word and put the blood of the lamb, they were passed over. Well, Jesus actually was the Passover lamb ultimately, and he died on Passover weekend, which we celebrate next weekend for for us. And in this passage right here, it's six days before Passover. Jesus is about to go down and be crucified on Passover weekend. And on his way, he stops to visit Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Radical story on Lazarus. Jesus was called and said, hey, Lazarus is ill. He's not gonna make it, Jesus. Can you please hurry up? And Jesus doesn't rush and get there. He's out in Jericho. He finally gets there. And they're all upset and says, Jesus, if you came here, if you only would have shown up, God, he'd be alive now. But you didn't, and you really let us down. And, and, and now we're broken, and we're crushed, and we're sad. And, and Mary goes, my brother Lazarus is dead. And Jesus says, where is he? You see, God, the Bible says, he speaks things that are not as though they are. And there could be things in your life that are not anymore. And God can speak them into existence. Do you know that's how he created the world? He spoke it. Let there be, boom. Let there be, boom. God spoke things into existence. And Mary is flipping out and broken and crying. And Lazarus is dead. He's been dead for four days. Jesus is like, I'm not so concerned about that. Where is he? Well, if we open it, it's going to smell. I'm not concerned about that. Where is he? In there. 
Open it up. Are you sure? Open it up. And Jesus looks in and goes, Lazarus, come out. Boom. Lazarus comes out of the tomb. Everyone is flipping out at this point. They've seen a lot of stuff. They've not seen someone dead for four days take on life again. So now this is spreading like wildfire. Jesus goes to the house. They're throwing a meal for Jesus. And all the people who heard about raising, they saw Lazarus dead. They know Lazarus. Lazarus was their friend. Lazarus had no pulse. Lazarus was gone. And now he's alive. And everyone's coming to Lazarus' house. And Jesus is there. And Mary is just like, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus, for bringing back what was lost. I don't know if you know that, but God brings back things in your life that was lost. He can redeem anything. If he wants to redeem, he can redeem anything. And so Mary believes this. She heard it before. The Bible says, whoever is forgiven much loves much. And we know Mary had been through a lot. If you read the gospel accounts of her story, she'd been through a lot of stuff. Jesus forgives her, restored her. She loved Jesus so much. And now Jesus raises her brother from the dead. Mary is like, thank you, thank you, thank you. And all of a sudden, when all these people are here, in the middle of the meal, Mary gets up and walks over to Jesus and drops to her knees and gets right down at her feet and begins to take out this profoundly expensive perfume. Uh, the, you know, nowadays they can whip up some little chemical combination in China and ship it over for pretty cheap, you know, get it at Ross or something. Uh, not back then. Not back then. To get any kind of perfume back then, they had to take flowers and try to get an oil out of it and take something else. And try. It took forever to come up with perfume. And that's why a pint, a pint of perfume 2,000 years ago was a year's wage. To bring it forward to today's day and time, what was that? Well, in LA, the average income for, for, for Los Angeles is $52,000 a year. So she takes a pint Something maybe custom that you can get from the south of France. I'm sure they have little pints down there for 52 grand in the south of France somewhere. Some custom perfumes. She takes $52,000 worth of perfume and just dumps it all over Jesus' feet. And then she takes her own hair, lets it down and starts wiping his feet with her hair. And I don't know if you guys get the visual of this. We, we read through it and we blow through it, but this... It's like the ultimate snapshot of worship, of adoration. And that's what worship is, by the way. It's adoration. It's adoring God. She adores Jesus, and she's pouring out everything, and she's wiping his feet with her hair. Now, a lot of you, I know you think of feet, and some people got a little phobia with feet, you know. Get it. But, but how about taking your hair and wiping feet? And she is so in love with Jesus. She's on her knees, pouring out everything she has and wiping it, and and. And it says it was such a beautiful act of worship that the whole house was filled with the fragrance. The whole house was filled with it. I would suggest the same is true with us, that when we worship God, the whole house gets filled with the fragrance. It is like a beautiful aroma to God. And in your home, the same thing. Worshiping in your home, turning up some, just worshiping God, the whole house can be filled with the fragrance. But this was a legitimate, a tangible perfume scent filled. The whole house was filled with the fragrance. And... It costs a fortune, but that didn't matter to her. That's not where her heart was because Mary knew a couple of things. She, she, she knew that this was an outflow of her heart. And some people criticized her for her worship. Now, I want to talk about this for a minute because I think when you talk about worship being criticized, 
I don't think we just blow past it. I think we got to look at this for a second. The worship was criticized. They were critical on how she worshiped. That's not the way you should worship. Hey, you're wasting money over there. Why, you don't worship like that. That's nonsense. And, and, and there's a criticism on the way Mary is expressing her worship. Um, some were saying it's cost too much or it's wasteful. You know, it's been said that some people can cheapen grace, cheapen grace. Grace, by definition, is a free gift. Grace is a gift of God to us. It's a free gift of grace. That means we didn't earn it. We can't buy it. We don't deserve it, okay? It doesn't have a price. It's free to you and I. Jesus dying on the cross and making a way for us to forgive sins and and give us eternity, that's a free gift of grace. We're saved by grace through faith and not by works. Free gift of grace. But even though it was free, grace is not cheap. Grace is free, but it's not cheap. The Bible talks about the cost of discipleship. And we didn't pay for it, but we get it freely. But how we respond, some people can cheapen grace. Does that make sense? They can cheapen grace or see the radical value of grace, even though it was free. Well, the same thing with worship. Some can cheapen worship. I don't think we can look, when we look at King Jesus and we look at the way he is responded to in an act of worship, I think God's trying to show us something in Jesus' final descent. There's a private worship snapshot and there's a public worship snapshot. Both of these we got to look at. And in this case here, Mary's like, I'm not into cheap worship. I don't worship God cheaply. I worship God with my whole heart. And I say that because Mary is showing us something that I think we need to, to look at. I would suggest to you that worship never costs too much. If you and I have a view of worship uh, that we think, well, and, and we can do this too. We can get critical of worship. We can say things, and you've heard this before. I didn't get anything out of the worship today. Come on, who's heard that? Put up your hand. I didn't get anything out of the worship today. That's the way we think. That's very natural. But can I remind us of how self-centered that is? I didn't get anything out of the worship because worship is supposed to serve me somehow. Now, we never thought, we never said that, but that's what we're thinking. I didn't get anything out of the worship instead of, God, I hope you got something out of our worship today. Does that make sense? God, I hope it was a fragrant aroma to you. I hope if it was a joyful noise to you, God, I hope it was pleasing to you. I hope you found it pure enough from the right heart that you would inhabit our praises. But we would say, I didn't really like that. I didn't get enough out of that worship. I couldn't stand the song selection and I don't like the singer. I mean, we, we do this, guys. We do this. Like we're at a concert or a movie, like we want to get, you know, consumers, narcissism. I'm telling you, the kingdom of God doesn't work that way. That's not God's economy. And, and if we don't know that, then we don't know who King Jesus is. King Jesus is King Jesus. Mary knows it. And Mary's like, grace isn't cheap. He forgave me and it was a free gift. But man, it wasn't cheap. It's going to cost him everything. The father sent his only son. That's not cheap. Free gift to us, but that's not cheap. We can't cheapen grace. We can't cheapen worship. Mary knows that. Mary knows where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And this is important because I believe our worship is tied to our heart condition. And sometimes without even thinking of it, guys, without even being intentional, we can be like Judas and go, well, why are they doing that? Huh, that's kind of wasteful. We could do it without even thinking about it. We can go the same route. 
And I think Jesus is saying in this passage right here, he ends up saying, hey guys, leave her alone. In fact, another account in the Bible in Luke's gospel, when it talks about this similar snapshot of the oil being poured out and wiping Jesus' feet, Jesus says, this story is going to be told forever. Jesus doesn't say that in the gospels about anything else. Do you know that? Jesus doesn't say verbatim, this story that you guys are watching in front of you, this story is going to live on forever. He doesn't say that, but he says it about this because there's something about recognizing King Jesus for who he is and this beautiful snapshot of adoration, of worship, which is probably the most beautiful snapshot in the entire Bible of a true response to King Jesus. I I love this. I love this. Um, She knows Jesus gave his all for me. I'm giving my all to him. And she knows that worship costs her. And I would suggest that worship, worship should cost us. I think there's a theme through the Old Testament. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But all through the Bible, there's this principle of reaping and sowing. All through the Bible is a principle of understanding God for who he is. All the way in the beginning, Cain and Abel, where Abel goes, I love God, and I I, I want my heart to be invested in something I'm doing, not just, hallelujah, God, see you later, answer my prayer. Some sort of, God, you are worthy, and you are good, and you are King Jesus. And Cain, on the other hand, goes, what do I got to do, an offering? Let me grab a little dirt. I'll pull up some potatoes and throw them on the fire. How's that, God? You happy with that? That's what he did. And Abel, Abel's like, no, I'm taking my, a fattened calf here. I'm taking something, a lamb. I'm taking something valuable to me. It's because it was value. If you lived back then, that would be valuable to you. And bringing it before God, and God is pleased with Abel's and not pleased with Cain's. And we see that all the way through. In fact, here's a beautiful snapshot. 2 Samuel 24, 24. David, King David, who's a worshiper, who's a man after God's own heart, is looking for a place to finally build the temple. The temple is a place of worship. It's a place where we sing praises and we light sacrifices to God and we, we give him honor and praise. We bring him first fruits. David says, I gotta find the right location. I gotta find the right piece of land that's worthy of where the temple is. He finally finds in Jerusalem, on the current temple mount, this threshing floor, and he's like, this would be perfect. So he goes to the guy, and he's not all in his whole king outfit. He goes up to this guy and he goes, hey, I'm really liking this land right here. This is going to work really good. Can I buy it from you? And the guy says, sure, here's the price. It's a really high price, very expensive piece of land. It's prime real estate. And the guy goes, "Uh, wait a second, aren't you King David? And he's like, yeah, I am. And the guy goes, oh, well, then, you know, for you, for you, it's just free. I'm just going to give it to you. It's free. You know what David says? Because most people would say, cool, I get some free land. (laughs) Awesome, bring it, sign it over, put it in escrow. No, not David. David says, far be it from me to worship the Lord on something that costs me nothing. What kind of response is that? It's a kind of response of somebody who won't cheapen worship. They don't cheapen grace, they don't cheapen worship. He's like, I am not gonna build a temple on free ground. And some of us, we go, dude, take the free ground. (laughs) Don't pass up the free real estate, take it. He's like, you don't understand worship then. Because worship has to cost. Worship's got to be a sacrifice. If there's no sacrifice, it's not worship. You know, anything, anything in your life, there's, if, there's no, if there's no pain in the offering, it's not a sacrifice by definition. 
As the song says, there's pain in the offering. There's some sort of sacrifice. All I'm saying is Mary gets it. And it's the most beautiful response to King Jesus we see in a private setting anywhere. And it's on his final descent to Jerusalem. It's an amazing snapshot. Well, there's the private one. And let's look at the public one here. The public one continues. And this is King Jesus leaving the house of Lazarus and now heading down into Jerusalem. And it says in verse 12, The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Okay, so here's this scene. Jesus riding in on a colt that was never ridden. Never ridden is symbolic of something that's going to be used for sacrifice. It's been set apart for God, never used before. And you're thinking, why doesn't he come in on a horse like in these movies, a big stallion or something like that? Because it would look cool for the movie, wouldn't it? You know, come in on a big horse. (laughs) Charge, right? No, a horse is an animal of war, and this colt is an animal of peace. And Jesus comes in as the prince of peace. He came as a lamb, but he's coming back like a lion, the Bible says. But he came in in peace, and he came in on this, on this cult. And this, this is the king of kings, but we have to know that this is the king of humility too. Jesus humbled himself and took on the form of flesh. Jesus humbled himself. He, he gave up so many, he's God who became flesh, but he gave up his, his realm in the heavenlies to come down here on earth and take on an earth suit and, and this profound humility. This is the coronation of the most humble king ever. Even in his birth, we see the humility in his birth and we see the humility in his final descent and we f- see the final uh, humility in his sacrifice. But if you're a note taker this morning, please understand this. If we wanna understand his kingdom of King Jesus and, and how we respond and what we glean, uh, humility, humility is a pathway to power. Uh, the world will never tell you that. The world will tell you humility is weakness. They'll say, get over it. Rise up, be strong, charge. But that's the world's economy. That's not God's economy. And God's economy is entirely different from the world's economy. We can't even confuse the two. In God's economy, he disposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He, 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 you know, those, he, does, he hates a haughty heart, a prideful heart. And we, we, we even see the snapshot of the devil being cast down. It says pride was found in him. Pride. What was his sin? What was the devil's sin, Lucifer, that he got cast down in a nanosecond? Pride. Well, I am better than these other angels, and I am more shiny, and I am closer to God, and I have a pretty important role, and people are looking at me. I'm Lucifer, the light bearer, he would say. And God's like, what? Wham! Cast down with a third of angels. Pride. Pride's a big deal. There's no place for pride in the presence of God. And when we see Jesus in his economy as King Jesus, this is profound humility. And if you want to understand how the kingdom of God functions and how you and I function in that kingdom, if we believe the things God says and we want to walk in the things he says, it can't be exempt from humility. Humility is the key ingredient, the component for, for being a minister of God's gospel in the fullness of, of what God offers. But humility is a pathway to power. In the upper room, they're all down on their knees in total humble, humble worship to God. And bam, God poured out power. But humility is rewardable. And the world isn't going to tell you that. Humility is not weakness. Humility is power under submission. 
Big, big difference. It's power, but the power is submitted to God, saying, I'm not going to, I know what I could do right now, but I'm not opting not to. And Jesus could have come in on a horse. Jesus could have just said, Rome, you're gone. Poof. He could have, it's power under submission. Jesus is like, I'm not here to overthrow Rome. I'm here to deal with a much bigger animal, and it's not Rome. See, people thought Rome had them captive. Jesus is like, guys, you're missing it. And how many times, I I think about this, how many times do we think our biggest issue is is one certain thing, and and God is looking going, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but that's not your biggest issue. Your biggest issue is this over here. And we're, we're even praying for this. God, get rid of Rome. Rome is occupying the land. Rome is a problem, God. We would be great. Everything would be great, God, if you just get rid of Rome. Get rid of Rome. Please, God. That's the way the Jews felt under Roman occupation. Please, please send a savior to get rid of Rome. God's like, yeah, guys, Rome's not your biggest problem. Your biggest problem is sin and having it taken away. And no one's asking for that. And Jesus comes along in humility and actually takes away the sin to the world. And that's where the freedom is. The freedom wasn't under Rome or no Rome. The freedom was forgiveness. And so even Israel is missing the the mark, what they're looking for right here. So there's this great crowd and they're shouting. Matthew's gospel says some went before him and some went behind him. So as they're moving now down into Jerusalem, everyone is shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel. They're basically saying, you are the Messiah, you are the king, and they're saying, please save us. In other words, we've been waiting a long time for the Messiah. You're coming in, fulfilling prophecy on this, on this donkey, and you're also going through the golden eastern gates, which the Bible says is where the Messiah will come, and they're like, this is the day. And it fulfilled prophecy in Daniel's gospel. It said 483 years after the Jews returned from captivity, the Messiah's coming. Anyone who did the math was like, hello, the Messiah's here. So surely he's going to overthrow Rome. And Jesus is like, no, it's not about overthrowing Rome, guys. And they're, they're waving the palm branches, which is a sign of triumph. And they're basically saying, Hosanna. They're basically saying, we submit to you, King Jesus. We believe you're the king. We submit. Here's another cool thing they're doing. They're taking their coats off. And they're throwing them on the ground for Jesus and the colt to step on, which is kind of an interesting picture. You know, you get the old Western movies. You ever see the old Western where the lady gets out of the stagecoach, right? And it's all muddy. Guy takes off a jacket and puts it. You guys ever see that? Or is that too old school, right? Um, you know, puts down the coat so the woman doesn't have to step in the mud. Just a sign of real, real respect and honor. And they're doing that with Jesus going down the road. They're taking off their coats and they're putting them on the ground, which is saying, Wow. It says their public worship to God, their public praise, saying, we submit to you, King Jesus. And again, it's a, it's a beautiful picture of public praise. And this is what it says in Luke's gospel about this same little snapshot. The Pharisees are really upset at this point. The Pharisees are really upset that all the crowds are shouting out, basically, you're the king, you're the Messiah. And the Pharisees are like, no, we didn't approve him, and you didn't come to us first to ask and yet all the people are going to Jesus, going, he raised Lazarus from the dead. He calms the seas. Clearly, he's the Messiah. So they are praising him, and they're yelling at all these things. And in Luke's gospel, it says, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, this is Jesus, if they keep quiet, the stones are going to cry out. In other words, this was a day marked in history. This day can't be silenced. 
This was a day history was waiting for. The whole humanity was waiting for their day of redemption. This is a cataclysmic time in the spiritual realm of what's about to go down. And they're trying to tell him, hey, be quiet. There may be some, and certainly the devil would like to quiet the praise in your life. Hey, tone it down. Tone it down. Calm down. That's not necessary. That's not the spirit of God. That's what the devil does. The devil's moving through the Pharisees saying, pipe down over there, okay? It's not necessary. And they're, telling, they're even telling Jesus, tell these guys to stop saying what they're saying. And Jesus is like, let them go. Let them go. If they don't do it, the stones are going to cry out. Stones weren't made to cry out, but we were. So guys, I don't know where you're at. This is Passion Week. I don't know where you're at in your passion to shout out to Jesus. And wherever you you and I are in our passion to shout out to Jesus is probably going to be based on what tradition we're familiar with or comfortable with, the way we were raised up or the way we were not raised up. But I would suggest to you that shouting out to God has been something historical from the beginning, all through Israel's history and even in the New Testament. Shouting out to Jesus is something that we were designed to do. We're going to do a little exercise. Would you join me, please? Would you stand up? Now, you've been to a sports game for your child or your grandkid. You've been to things where your team won or the Olympics won or you've won, maybe, you, who knows, won the lottery one time. I don't know. Were you like, yes, and it was awesome. Something cool happened in your life. Sports game, whatever it is. But when it comes to shouting out for Jesus, well, you know, it's, that's private. That's not, you know, I mean, that's it's just between me and him. We don't say that very loud. I don't know where that comes from. That doesn't come from the Spirit of God. That comes from the same Spirit that's telling him, hey, pipe down over there. That's not necessary. That's not the heart of God. This is Palm Sunday. You guys know that? They said, Hosanna, Lord Jesus, which is me. They were saying basically, I love you, King Jesus. That's what they're saying. Everyone's shouting out, I love you. And and the devil through the Pharisees is like, tell him to pipe down and knock that off. And they're like, no, let him go. (laughs) Let it be uncorked. Let him all just, just let it go. That's the heart of God. This is not some emotional thing. This is, not, this is a, a reality, I believe, a tipping point in our life to be able, in a, in a right, safe and a good place, to be able to shout out to him. Now, you know how you've shouted at the game. You know you ha- shouted when your kids won or, or whatever, somebody got a trophy. You're like, yes, you know what you did. I want to encourage us right now. This is orderly because we're doing this all together. I want us to shout out, right? <laughs> it's not chaos. God's a God of order. We're going to shout out to Jesus right now. I want you to close your eyes. Put your hands up for a second. If you're comfortable, if you're not, you don't have to do any of this, okay? No one's making you do it. It's not Simon Says. But we are gonna shout out to Jesus, okay? And I want you to shout out like you would at that game or that beyond that because Jesus is worthy. Stones weren't made to cry out, but we were. And I want you to say as loud as you can, we love you, King Jesus. Ready on the count of three. One, two, three. We love you, King Jesus. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, we do, God. Yes, we do, God. Can I tell you, there's something in you that was made to do that. Made to do that. This is not some like, oh, let's get all emotional. You were made to do that. 
God put eternity in the hearts of men. His spirit, his spirit is in us, and we are ma- we're instruments of praise by definition, but the world and your traditions and background would be pipe down over there. That's not necessary. That's the spirit of Antichrist. That's not the spirit of the living God. Now, I'm, we're going to do it one last time, but we're going to do it even louder because I want you to remember shouting out to God as loud as you could. Well, I'm going to count of three. Last time, I love you, King Jesus. One, two, three. I love you, King Jesus! Yes. 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 Amen. Amen. Well, let's, uh, let, let's be see. We're going to close in some worship as the worship team comes up. But I just want to close on this one note right here. This is an important principle of his kingdom. We love him. We should shout out to him. Uh, the second point this morning is never stop shouting out to King Jesus, guys. Never stop. In your home, in your car, not as some emotional getting all wound up and getting everybody hyped up. You were made to respond to King Jesus. So was I. We were made for it. This isn't some weird thing. Anybody or anything trying to tone you down and keep you quiet from that is not from the Spirit of God. And so the next thing we see, and I'm just going to summarize, it says in verse 16, it says, at first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things that had been written about him and that these things had to, had to be done. These apostles who saw things that you and I never saw, they walked with Jesus, they didn't get it. Sometimes they understood the kingdom of God and sometimes they didn't get it. And if you're like me, sometimes you kind of see what God's doing and how many of us sometimes you're like, God, what are you doing, right? I mean, really, what are you doing, God? I'm trying to understand your economy. I'm trying to understand what your will in this situation. I love you and all, and I, I have no idea what you're doing right now. I'm praying for this. and this. Even the apostles, even the apostles are saying, we don't get it right now. The Bible says, without the spirit of God, you cannot discern the things of God because the things of God are spiritually discerned. What that means is, Without the Spirit of God in a really clear way leading us and guiding us, we're not going to understand the things of God. The apostles didn't either. It says they, later on they did, after Jesus was glorified, after the Spirit was poured out, they're like, now we get it. That's what the passage says, if you go on and read it. After Jesus rose and the Spirit was poured out, now we understand. But at the time, they didn't. Our prayer team is coming up here today, and, and I just want to make this opportunity available to every, every one of you. Um, Without the Spirit of God, you cannot discern the things of God. So as we're trying to recognize what King Jesus is doing in our lives, sometimes we get it and sometimes we don't. You know, I, I think we're like the early church where we need to keep coming back and say, be filled with the Spirit again. And they were filled with the Spirit again. It wasn't a one time. They were filled with the Spirit again because it is the Spirit of God that gives us the discernment to discern spiritual things. Again, the apostles themselves, who had a lot more experience with Jesus than we do, they didn't get it. But when the Spirit is poured out, they're like, I get it now. And we do the same thing. We default to the natural. What's God doing? I don't get it. We worry. There could be fear. There could be doubt. There's confusion. Listen, the Spirit of God will comfort you and lead you and guide you. That's who he is. So we're going to wrap up on this. And um, you need to know that he is still king even when you misunderstand his kingdom. Even when you misunderstand how things are unfolding, like these apostles are like, wait a minute, is this the way it ends? I know he said it, but we can't believe it really ends this way. He's going to the cross. They're bummed. 
They're sad. They don't get it. They thought it was going to happen different. Same with the crowds. They're like, huh? What do you mean he's going to get beaten and go to the cross? I thought, huh. And we misunderstand the kingdom. People a lot closer to Jesus physically than we are now misunderstood the kingdom. You and I can misunderstand King Jesus and his kingdom. It's possible, guys. We do it. We do it all the time. We pray the wrong way because we misunderstand the kingdom. We're aiming at the wrong things because we misunderstand the kingdom. It is the spirit of God that will give revelation to the insights of God's heart and his kingdom. Well, I'm going to close in prayer right now. I want to encourage you to come up and, and, and uh, just say to the prayer team, just say, you know what? I want more of God's insight. I, wanna, I want that spiritual discernment. I want the spirit of God to show me some things and give me some clarity because I, I realize if the apostles missed it, and I know I do, I, I want to start getting in and seeing the things of God's kingdom in a whole nother way. Well, mighty God, I just thank you for your word and the power of it, Lord. I just pray, God, that, that we would be a people, Lord, in our private life and our public life to honor you as King Jesus. You are, in fact, the king of all kings because unlike other kings, your kingdom will never end. And, and you're the king of all kings because someday every king that ever lived on the planet is gonna kneel before you, God. You're the king of all kings. And Lord, we don't understand your kingdom all the time like the apostles. I just pray today, Lord God, there'd be a time where you begin to just lift our eyes, the veil of limitation, lift our, 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 our ability to see spiritually, God. Give us spiritual discernment, God. We thank you for that. And Lord, I just pray that, I, I know right now in this city, you're calling people to you on a whole nother level. There's a beautiful thing you're doing in the spiritual realm where, Lord, you're calling people you love and you're calling them into your kingdom, not just to observe you, but to really step in to your kingdom and begin really walking with you, Lord, as a as a clear point in life to say, I, not only do I respect you and honor you, I'm actually committing to you because it's your kingdom, not mine. And so with everyone's eyes closed and head bowed, if, if you sense it's time that the Lord is, is calling you to make that legitimate commitment where you're saying, I am getting into your kingdom, I'm stepping off the throne and putting you on it, would you just raise your hand? I want to agree with you in prayer. Amen. Anybody else? Yes, yes. Anybody else? Hallelujah. Well, let's do this. Let's all stand to our feet right now. And those of you who raised your hands, just let's everyone just lift up our hands right now and say to the Lord in the privacy of your own heart, say, King Jesus, I receive you as king. I am getting off the throne. I never belonged on it in the first place, but I put you on the throne today. I turn from my ways and my leadership. I commit to following you. Forgive me of all my sins and past and and give me the fresh start that you promised. You say, behold, I make all things new. And you put your spirit in us to lead us and to guide us. Let us start living for your glory and for your honor from this day forward in the mighty name of Jesus. And those of you who prayed that prayer, again, come to the prayer team and let them know, hey, I made that prayer today. We want to encourage you in your first steps in God's kingdom. Well, let's go out in praise and adoration to God. And let's follow in suit of what we, what we saw so beautifully modeled today. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit valleymetrochurch.com.